My guest today is singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and music producer Buck Johnson. Now, he is the keyboardist and backing vocalist for the legendary rock band Aerosmith, also the Hollywood Vampires with Johnny Depp, Alice Cooper, and Joe Perry, and the Joe Perry Project. Now, Buck co-wrote the international hit single for Carlos Santana, Just Feel Better, for his 2005 album, All That I Am, featuring Steven Tyler on vocals, which is part of our discussion today, as Buck has recorded his own version of Just Feel Better, and as a versatile entertainer, Buck's artistry encompasses American rock and roll with a unique soulful flair that comes from his gospel roots, creating a sound and a style all his own. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome singer, songwriter, and musician extraordinaire, Buck Johnson, to the show. Welcome, Buck. Hi, Ward. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. You bet, man. Now, I understand that you come from a musical family. How old were you when you started singing gospel music with your family? Well, Mama says I was singing before I was walking. So, um, but no, she was a great, she is still, still plays a great pianist. And they had a Southern gospel group and uh, it was just something we did. You know, I was probably about the time I was five, they propped me up on stage and started singing with them. And I just knew at an age, I loved it. And I was singing in tune and singing harmonies. And, uh, you know, so I, all credit goes to them. They're my biggest influences and my heroes. Well, traveling and seeing gospel music, uh, who were your musical influences that led you into rock and roll? Well, I had some older older cousins that, because in my house it was gospel and classical, which are tremendous influences and great roots. Um, you know, studying piano, you had to learn some classical pieces. And uh, but I had some older cousins who turned me on to like he. You need to know this, Buck. This is the Beatles. This is the Rolling Stones. Uh, this is Led Zeppelin. And I think all those English bands that were influenced by the very thing I was growing up singing, you know, blues and gospel, bluegrass, um, you know, they were influenced by and I really took to them. So all those great bands and great singers, guitar players, Paul Rogers, uh, Rod Stewart, The Faces, Free, um, again, The Beatles, Rolling Stones for sure. Man, I mean, how did you go from singing in churches to, uh, well, singing in bars and festivals? Um, well, bars came later, like in college, because um, it was a good way to earn some money and uh, travel and uh, experience that. Um, but I started having bands in junior high, and, and really it was because uh, I was a shy, reclusive little guy, and and the girls started noticing me. So I think it always starts something like that, um, singing songs that they knew that's on the radio and that kind of thing. Um, and I just loved it. I loved, um, I wanted to hear some new stuff. I just couldn't take enough. And still to this day, I, I, I find myself finding music that like, how did I miss that? And, and it's just, I never want to stop learning and, and hearing new things. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the bars were, were, had their time and it was fun. And I still just love getting up performing, whether it's in a church or, uh, in a bar or at a festival or an arena, you know, it's, uh, get the same show for me. Well, yeah, and I guess, you know, regardless who the audience is, the energy's there and you as a, an entertainer, a musician, you can feed off that energy. Absolutely. Um, there's just something that when you, especially if you get to sing a song that you wrote, um, I think it's the greatest thing. And you have someone that edifies it, an audience that gives you the love back. 
That's the greatest feeling in the world. It's just electric. Well, when did you start songwriting? Um, well, that came about in college when I started putting a serious band together and <clears throat> You know, and you start with songwriting 101, learn from the best, you know, and what did they do? And, and you know, how long was the intro and how long it took to get to the chorus? And is this hook good enough, you know? And, and uh, but really when I moved to Los Angeles, my wife and I moved after college, um, I found some mentors, uh, one being Charlie Midnight, who, uh, who wrote Living in America with Dan Hartman, wrote a song that Joni Mitchell recorded because she loved his lyrics. Um, he produced Joe Cocker, Doobie Brothers. He brought me in with uh, a live album with the Doobie Brothers singing backing vocals. So that's, we started to write together and uh, he was a great mentor to me and I learned a lot from him. I always thought, you know, you want to get better at something, you better tennis player, you play with someone better than you. And uh, so I always try to surround myself with excellence. When we moved to Nashville, when we've been here for about 16 years, um, you know, I had a publishing deal and you're writing every day, you know, it's sometimes twice a day. And uh, that was really good to really, you know, hone your skills as a complete songwriter. Well, do you have a particular process that you follow when writing a song, especially if you're writing by yourself? Well, I don't like to write by myself. I've written a few songs by myself. I consider myself a collaborator, you know, um, I could sit and play chords and nothing seems to come. But if someone else, if you play those same chords in the room with me, it's like the light bulb comes on. And so there's something about that, I think. Um, and in Nashville, you're just surrounded by, I can throw a rock in any direction and hit a great songwriter or musician. And so I get to do that every day, just about when I'm not on the road and sometimes even when I'm on the road. But the process, I think if you got a good title, know what you want to say, then you got a good chance of writing a good song. And sometimes even if it scares you a little bit, that's even better, you know? Um, but I'm a melody guy and, uh, and I, I, I think though I've become a really good lyricist when I know what I want to say. And, and that's why I did this album and, and put Just Feel Better on it because I wanted to say some things, you know, especially after going through the pandemic, you know, things had changed and, you know, my father passed away and I had things I wanted to say that was on my heart. So that gives you a lot of motivation to write. Well, let's talk about this song, Just Feel Better, because you wrote this song along with Damon Johnson, who I've had the had the opportunity to interview as well. And then there was Jamie Houston. And you all co-wrote this amazing global international hit for Carlos Santana with, of course, Steven Tyler on vocals. What was the songwriting process uh, back in the day when you first mm -hmm. wrote Just Feel Better and uh, was there anything particular that inspired the lyrics of the song? Well, Damon and I at the time were on the road touring, playing with John Waite, you know, um, who was in the Babies and that. Um, anyway, we were on a tour with uh, Journey and Peter Frampton that year. And on a night off in a hotel room, instead of uh, going out, let's sit, we said, let's write a song let's try to get something going and uh so we were in the hotel room we started the song we didn't finish it uh, i guess we were just too tired i don't know um and that was towards the end of the tour we didn't get a chance to follow up so damon goes back to birmingham where he lived at the time and i went back to la um about a month later i called damon up and i said look you know my my good friend jamie houston you know, he's he's crushing it right now with getting all these cuts as a producer uh, with Disney and 
and he's you know connected with Clive Davis. I think he would be the perfect guy to finish this song with. And he like, yeah, let's do it. So sat down with Jamie. And as we were starting to write the song, it became apparent to me and Jamie, this song was about his first wife who tragically died. And it was heartbreaking. And, and this would this had happened several years before we sat down to finish this song. And it just kind of became its own thing. And it was no intent of trying to write a hit song. It just became like therapy. And it was really meaningful to us. And we had no clue that a couple of years later, that this song wouldn't land in the hands of uh, Carlos Santana and Steven Tyler would Tyler would be doing the vocals. So it was just kind of took a life of its own and it was really special. Well, it, how, is special. well it is very special. I mean, how did it fall into the hands of Carlos Santana? Because I know that that album uh, was a, a huge um, a collaboration of, I hate to call mm -hmm. it a duet album, um, yeah. but it was, you know, Carlos has that signature guitar sound and then he brings all these amazing artists to sing uh, many of these different songs. So how did that, how did that come to be in his hands? Well, again, Jamie Houston had the connection at the time to Clive Davis and like anything in life, he has relationships and that helps greatly in this situation. Um, again, I, we didn't think that, I didn't see the song being a Carlos Santana song, but I had no idea that they were looking for something a little more rock sounding with Steven Tyler in mind. Cause you know, Clive, Clive Davis signed Carlos Santana and Aerosmith and to put two hall of famers together on a song was like, you know, this will be the event of the year. So um, yeah, it's just uh, fortune. You know, you got to have a little bit of luck and connections, relationships for sure. You know, there was a lot of hits off that album. Yeah. Um, well, you know, this was one of the albums he did collaborations with, you know, um, and, uh, you know, we were just blessed that uh, to get a song placed on the album amongst other great artists. And then for it to be a single was even like, you know, icing on the cake. You know, when I listen to your version of Just Feel Better, you truly capture the essence and the emotion of those crying out for help. I mean, this song carries the message for millions to know that it's okay to cry out for help. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, you know, I do feel I have a deep connection to it, being a writer on it and knowing the story. And, um, you know, when you find out what someone's going through, sometimes it's not easy to see, or uh, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's good to know that, you can share a message that, you know, that it is okay to cry out for help. And, you know, uh, you know, she would do anything to just feel better was the, you know, in the lyric. And, um, you know, it was, it was painful thing to go through at the time, but I hope some good can come from it. They can help someone else. Yeah. I was reading your bio, your, your bio is extremely long and there was a word in there that really kind of made me laugh, but then I got to thinking about it. Uh, where you were, you grew up in Alabama. You spent a lot of time in California, and you have this sound, Calabama. And I started <laughs> listening to your version of "Just Feel Better," and I'm like, I can see that. Okay, I can hear that. And it was funny because when I first heard your version, within probably 20 seconds of the song, I was sitting here going. That's a hit. Not realizing that 
Carlos Santana and Steven had cut this song because you made it your own. Well, thank you. And um, when, because when I first heard your version, I was like, oh my gosh, this is one of the best songs I've ever heard. And then I I ran in, I said, I told my daughter, I said, check this out. Because she's a huge Aerosmith fan, and so she knows who you are. And she she's listening within the first 30 seconds, she goes, that's just feel better. I said, I know that's the name of the song. She goes, no, that's the song that Steven and Carlos Santana did. I went, oh my gosh. But see, that's what I love when I see artists record the song because you made it your own. And, and I will tell you this book, I've listened to your version probably two dozen times. Wow. I went back <laughs> listened to Steven's vocals on the other one, and it finally dawned on me. I liken Steven's version to crying out for help in a dark alley versus yours as someone who is standing on a beach alone, looking out at the vast ocean, seeking an answer to their internal pain, hoping that someone will answer back. That's how I've envisioned the song. That's, that's a great analogy. You know, I never thought about that way. Um, I just try to stick with my instincts when I'm recording as a producer. Um, and sometimes it's not always easy to self-produce yourself. But, you know, when I was out touring with Aerosmith, you know, we had a residency in Las Vegas and um, I needed something to do. You know, I'm not a gambler and I don't party. So it was, it was to have something to do on those days off was important. So I started the process of making an album as a project. Well, it led to more than that. And then during the pandemic, you know, it was like, a again, it was something to keep me busy, keep my mind occupied. And, um, you know, to re-record at the request of my wife and many friends, oh, you should do your own version of Just Feel Better, you know? And I'm like, it's been a, been a minute, you know, since it was out. I'm like, okay, well, um, and it just like, it was, um, I don't know what to say. Um, that's a great analogy and thank you for saying that. Um, I, I hope that it would come out as appealing to people like yourself who, who get it, so thanks. Well, I, I'm gonna be honest. I absolutely love your version better and i'll tell you why even though you know we know carlos and steven are icons in rock but that version it has this sound of being live mm -hmm. it's very it's very raw it's it's rough mostly because of steven's vocals and mm -hmm. and of course carlos carlos's guitar just rings out mm. what i loved about your version it's a true studio version, but I love the fact that it took me a while to finally notice that you replaced the heavy guitar with strings. Mm-hmm. Yes. And why did you choose strings? Well, you know, I, a couple of reasons. I just, I, as an approach in a songwriter and as a producer, I always say, I serve the song. What does the song tell me? What does it want? And when you're, when it's a song for Carlos Santana, the focus has to be on Carlos Santana. So there's a lot of guitar riffs in between the lines and so forth. Um, in this case, it was more about the emotion of what I have felt with the song. Um, I'm a big fan you know, of many influences over the years, but uh, the early Elton John songs with, um, you know, with the, um, uh, Paul Buckmaster string orchestrations on those early songs. Um, it just, that's kind of the, what I was hearing with the songs. And while I was in Vegas, um, 
I there was a string quartet that played in the Aerosmith show, and uh, they're fantastic string players. They they work all the time in Las Vegas, and so I booked a studio and we went in and recorded a couple songs with them. Uh, you know, I did the arrangement, and um, you know, just kind of well, this sounds good. You know, it's four players, but we overdub it about four times, so it sounds like an orchestra. Yeah. Well, it it works, and I and I find that because you did that, you make this song a little bit more soothing that if someone was let's say uh, not having a very good day this is mm-hmm. a song that they could play and and kind of even though it's someone crying out for help mm-hmm. i think at the end it'll help someone have a better day so that yeah. would because the whole point is is just to feel better i know that's right. kind of a pun or a play on words but it's true that's your version yeah Wow. Well, thanks, man. I, I, I really appreciate that. I'm glad that you hear it that way. And, um, you know, I never thought about, you know, the soothing sound of strings. I just love the sound of strings. I mean, it's, it's they're what's you know, for centuries, you know, all the great music uh, that we hear from strings. And I also love loud guitars and big drums and, and all that, too. So uh, but in this case, for this song, that's what it needed, I thought. So it's great to hear you say those words. Well, you know, the other thing that I picked up, too, was when I was listening to your version, it I truly realized why you make such a perfect backup vocalist to Steven Tyler. And even St- Steven said, you know, how big and important you are to the band because you came, came on board with Aerosmith, what, 2014? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it was uh, out of the blue. And again, I think because of relationships, um, you know, there was a guy named Marty Fredrickson who co-wrote and produced Brother Kane, Damon Johnson's band back in the 90s, who ended up opening for Aerosmith. And um, Aerosmith A- A- Aerosmith's A&R guy at the time, John Kalodner, loved Brother Kane, brought Marty in to work with uh, Stephen and Joe and the band. And Marty wrote Jaded with Stephen, and they've been friends for a long time. So uh, I've known Marty for years. Um, and at that point in time, we really didn't really work together. We were just friends, but he knew what I was capable of and what I did. And so when Stephen said, hey, we need somebody, you know, again, thanks for uh, that relationship. And to Marty, uh, I was brought into the band. I'm in Alabama on Mother's Day. Uh, mom's wish was for me and my dad and her to, to sing a song at church where she played. And so we went down from Nashville where we live to Birmingham and we, we were getting ready to go to church and I get a phone call from Stephen from Istanbul. And uh, I'm like, mom, you go ahead. I'll catch up. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make it to church. Don't worry, but I got to take this call. And um, so next thing I get back to Nashville that night and I'm on a plane to Istanbul the next day. So it was out of the blue, but um, you know, I've been doing this for a little while and have played with many fantastic artists, but I knew that singing with another great singer such as Steven was a dream come true. And, and, um, and everything that I had learned over the years and all the mistakes I had made prepared me to walk in last minute. And we sat down in his dressing room uh, the day before the show and we, we sang together and, First song we sang was crying because it's one of the higher harmony parts. And yeah, you got to sing it like a lead singer. He doesn't want falsetto. He wants you to sing with him. 
And I guess from the time of singing with my parents as a little kid and singing with others and singing harmony, you know, that's a beautiful thing when you when you can do that, um, the instrument that comes from within that is shared with another soul singing together in harmony where you're sharing phrasings and articulations. And it, it's not really trying to. It's just it, you just your ear tells you that and you feel that from within. <clears throat> he recognized it. I recognized it. And and it was a beautiful moment. And and we got emotional and we hugged it out because, you know, he was like, where have you been? I'm like uh, waiting for this moment, you know. And uh, so it's been a really honor and pleasure to work with uh, Stephen and, the, and Aerosmith um, all these years. Um, and, um, you know, it's a dream come true. I get to sing with uh, that band and, and be on stage. I will say this that you could take that band with those songs and that voice and no frills, no lights, you know, no extra production and nobody would want their money back. You know, I wouldn't have to be there. Uh, they just, they know what they're doing and, and I've learned so much from them. Um, again, I'm, I'm playing with tennis with someone better than me. And, and as I always say, if I'm in, if I'm the best one in the room, I'm in the wrong room. So I want to be put, you know, I got to stay on my toes. I got to be ready. And, uh, so it's always a challenge, but a tremendous pleasure to uh, an honor to work with them. Well, you know, you're also a guitarist. What's it like playing guitar along with Joe Perry? Well, I'm not a Joe Perry. And I, I, <laughs> I, I'm a, you know, I've, I've got my Martin here and uh, I'm, I'm more of a, just an acoustic guy. Um, and I play acoustic guitar in the show with them. Um, you know, you got Brad Whitford, too, who is That's a legend. Right. So you got two of the best rock guitar players in one band. There's, you don't need another electric guitar. Um, so I play acoustic on songs like Jaded and Pink and and a few other Seasons of Weather. Um, and that's a lot of fun to do. I love playing guitar, but um, you know, uh, as a the keys, the vocals, the backing vocals are number one. Singing with Stephen. Number two is keyboards. And um, and there's a lot more keys going on than people would realize, especially with those two great guitar players. But um, again, serving the song, it's knowing where I fit, knowing when not to play. You know, it's like, what works with these two guitars in the vocals? Well, sometimes the organ up here, or maybe it's down here. It's just, uh, again, serving the song. Well, what equipment do you actually take on tour with Aerosmith? Well, the good news is I don't have to take anything because it's all there with them. Um, you know, I have uh, a Hammond B3 that I play. And sitting on top of it is a Korg Kronos. Uh, Korg was really good to me and to the band. And, uh, you know, I have um, the Korg Kronos is like, um, I don't know, it's like three keyboards in one. You know, I, I have so many things going on with that. It sits on top of the B3. And then um, I have my Gibson acoustic that I play uh, on the show with them. So and, and a lot of that will transfer over to Joe Perry Project and to the Hollywood Vampire. So. Much praise and thanks to Joe Perry because he he's got me in three bands that can never conflict. So I'm very fortunate. Yeah, that is amazing because you know you said Hammond B three. I'm wondering, do they haul around a Leslie along with that? Yeah, you can't have one without the other. I mean, it's the sound. You know, the Leslie's a bigger part of the sound in many ways. You know, um, uh, it's a unique uh, speaker. For those who don't know, it's turning speakers, you know, the, and they, they start slow and you can press it to go fast and then it'll slow back down. Uh, it's a legendary sound. I don't, I, you know, some keyboards can emulate the sound, but really there's nothing like the real thing. Um, it's pretty amazing to get to play. 
Yeah, I was talking with uh, singer Paul Carrick uh, mm. a while back, and he has a B3. Yeah. And uh, you can't, you know, I know every keyboard company thinks that they can copy a B3. You can't copy a B3. <laughs> This Nord keyboard, it's, it's, it, it does a pretty good job. It's, it's okay. You know, when you can't, when you got a gig where you don't have, uh, well, I can't carry B3 myself or a Hammond or a, you know, or a Leslie, uh, that'll suffice for the time being. Uh, but Paul Carrick, what a great singer and Hammond player, you know? Oh, we, yeah. It's funny because my in-laws, sang gospel music for years and and wow. they knew and they knew everybody i mean you know the cathedrals the singing americans the Neelands, the list goes on you know the blackwood brothers and yeah. when, when they would travel from church to church they hauled around their own hammond b3 with a leslie wow. pulling it out of uh their um I, I think it was well the first it was the airstream before they ended up with a silver eagle you know, and hauling that thing from church to church, you know, you could do, you know, two to three services a week. Yeah. And and hauling that. And uh I'm thinking and I always ask him, I'm like, you know, I really wish you never got rid of that Hammond B three because those things are hard to come by. I'm telling you, there's they only made a few and it's a certain years. It's like from fifty eight to like seventy four or something like that. Those are the ones you know, they they figured it out and got it right, and they you know, and once they became corporate owned, it was you know the 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 the, the parts became cheaper and and not and not as good, and music changed. But uh, you always Hammond B three will always have a place in gospel and rock and roll, and you know, for me, I love playing it all because it's it's all it all blends together. You know, it's just soulful music that you can feel and. And and Hammond B three is uh, it's it's a it's it's got so many sounds you can create and uh, what you don't realize and but hey man you can play Hammond B three in a church it's worth hauling around in a, in a church oh yeah I mean I I can just picture you know if if James Brown was was back here with us he'd be gliding across that altar with a B three <laughs> absolutely yeah. <laughs> well, uh, well, I gotta ask you, Buck, because yeah. you know, you, you know, you play with Aerosmith, Hollywood Vampires, of course, the yep. Joe Perry Project. But what are the major differences between performing with each one? Well, with the Hollywood Vampires, you've got the legendary Alice Cooper, the greatest showman, frontman in rock and roll, uh, besides Steven Tyler. Um, I think they're both. I get to work with both, um, and you know, you've got Johnny Depp. And let's face it, there's a lot of women that come to the shows to see Johnny Depp. And he's a fantastic guitar player, a great human being, a great person to, to uh, musician to work with and singer. Um, so my role is as I'm doing more of the, the John Lord from Deep Purple B3 playing, which is down low and growly and, and sounds like a guitar. So it, it's more of the glue that blends all the guitars together because you also have Tommy Hendrickson, uh, who's a Hollywood vampire. He's the MD as well, and he's playing guitar and singing. And I sing as well, and you know, that's usually why I get hired because of the singing too. But um, Aerosmith is more um, about focusing on singing with Steven and um, not as much B3. Um, there's a lot of different sounds, you know, um, there's, they have, you know, 
the early Aerosmith, which is more blues based. And then you have the later Aerosmith, you know, with all those hits that are a little more pop sounding. So there's a lot more uh, those 80s and 90s type keyboard sounds. Uh, so it's a little different. Um, Hollywood Vampires, as you may know, uh, is was Alice Cooper's idea. It was his original drinking club back in um, Los Angeles in like early 70s, maybe 1970. And uh, it was uh, Keith Moon and Harry Nilsson and John Lennon. And um, that's how that started. So uh, Alice's idea was to pay tribute to all of his dead drunk friends because he's the only one left. And so you know, it started off playing covers of his heroes. Like we do a Who song, you know, we do a John Lennon song, we do, you know, and so forth. And, um, you know, Johnny Depp got involved, Joe Perry got involved, Tommy Hendrickson, and now it took his life of its own. You know, it's like, oh, we could have played a bigger venue. And so now we're playing selling out arenas in Europe. And, uh, and we did two albums and the second album has more original music than covers on it. So, um, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, um, we don't get to do it as much because you're dealing with all those schedules, you know, Johnny's movie schedule, Alice is always touring and, and Aerosmith. Um, so it's when we can do it, we just have a blast. Um, Joe Perry, I'm the MD. So I have a little more responsibility and, you know, Joe has an extensive catalog, several albums, and there's a lot of instrumentals. We went to Brazil a couple of years ago for, uh, um, a jazz blues festival. And so half the set had to be just instrumentals. So, and that's kind of tricky sometimes if you don't really know the arrangement through and through, because you don't have the singer to kind of help direct where we are in the song sometimes. Um, but that's always, I love a challenge and, and Joe is, is great. And, and I get fun playing with him and him taking the spotlight and showcasing what he's all about. You know, his heroes, the Yardbirds, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, may God rest his soul. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, again, you know, what can I say? I, I, uh, every role is a little different, but it all, you know, the same kind. It's always Joe Perry. He's the consistent one through all three bands. So, Well, when was the moment that you realized that uh, Johnny Depp had musical chops? Well, I, they told me, you know, I had asked, you know, just out of curiosity and um, the first rehearsal, I'm seeing some watching him noodle, you know, as we're getting, you know, warmed up and getting his sound together. I'm like, oh, this guy can play. And, you know, and he, he has more of a, a vibe thing going, you know, Keith Richards was a big hero of his. And, um, you know, people may not know that when he came to Los Angeles, he was in a band. Uh, I think they had a record deal and and you know they were opening for major artists and so forth and and i think the lead singer tragically died and it's like what am i going to do now and he became friends with uh nicholas cage before he was a star and uh and i think they that led to him hey you should meet my agent kind of thing and and you know i i, I don't know if this is correct but i do believe the first thing that he went out for was nightmare on elm street and all of a sudden he's on the movie screen and every girl in america is like who's that and um, so he, he kind of fell into that whole career, but he's always, his first love has been music and, um, and he's well versed in it. He knows a lot of music, who played what, who wrote what, who produced what. Um, and it's always fun talking shop with him about these things. And uh, so he knows his stuff and he, you know what, and, and don't undersell his singing. You know, when he gets up and sing Heroes, it's like, it's, it's a home run. 
you know, that's kind of his voice. And, and he got to do an album with Jeff Beck, you know, um, and, and that's uh, some great singing on that record as well. Yeah, he, he nailed Heroes. <clears throat> I mean, I think David Bowie would be proud. I, we hope so. I mean, you know, we decided to do that song because um, it was right after Bowie had passed and the tribute him. And, and we just knew that was kind of Johnny's texture, his vocal range, and it would fit him perfectly. And we hadn't recorded it yet. And we had like the way the routing of the tour was, this is in 2018. We had three days off in Berlin and, and we decided, hey, why not go to the studio where Bowie recorded? heroes because we got three days off you know make use of our time and and that's where we recorded it and so it was uh it was really cool to get to do that well how crazy is the security uh if you compare the hollywood vampires uh being on tour versus uh aerosmith it's pretty crazy um about the same maybe an edge goes to johnny just because being an international movie star um but everybody knows Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, you know, the, you know, when we stay at these really nice hotels, they just, they can't just walk out, you know, that has to be planned and, and usually try to, the security staff is, is plan this out in advance. And, um, uh, it is, it's, it's people camp out you're at the hotel or sleeping in their cars. You're in South America and you hear them chanting, singing Aerosmith songs throughout the night. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I feel for them, you know, I want, I'll go out and say hello. At first, when I first started touring, I could leave the hotel incognito and no one would know who I am, but now they know. And, uh, but I always love meeting those fans. Uh, they're, they're beautiful people. And, and, um, and that's why we do it. This, uh, we get to do this because of the fans. That's it. Now I understand too, that you love working with young people. Well, you know, I do when I get the opportunity with young artists, you know, my wife has a business called Music City Music Together, where she teaches music to infants and toddlers, birth to five with the parent. And the whole idea is to help bring music into the home. You know, I mean, you know, I was fortunate to grow up in a musical family and, you know, my father, the, music was a big part of their life and many families of that generation because there was no TV, there was no other distractions and and telling stories and singing songs was way to pass things on and I, maybe we've lost a bit of that nowadays so what she does is pretty special to be able to get families especially those who say well i don't sing well and i know it can be intimidating especially in your city like nashville or los angeles but it's real important i think to the child doesn't know that you're not a great singer you know they just you doing it as part of the process of them. We know what music can do for the faculties of the brain, for social skills and language and math. There's a big correlation with math and music. Um, so to get them to get it, you know, I guess the way to put it is that it's really for the parents to bring it into the home. And because um, it's in our DNA, we're all, we all have the capability of singing in tune and keep in time. Now, if you never do it, it'll go away, you know? So if you can get them at those formative years, it can make a major impact in some ways. I mean, she's had children with autism that weren't uh, saying much that by the end of a 10 week session are starting to sing and, and talk. So it's the power of music. 
there is a huge power of music. Uh, I always suggest and recommend for parents to have their kid learn a musical instrument because it improves brain function and it can improve their grades. Um, And at the same time, I know that, uh, and and I've talked with so many artists who have had 50, 60 year careers, you know, Mm -hmm. look at the Rolling Stones, look at Aerosmith. I mean, we're talking people in their seventies and eighties still rocking out with, with complete energy and all of their faculties intact. Mm -hmm. So, there, there's power in music, and I think it's anti-aging. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it keeps us young, you know. Um, you know, even people, you know, my dad had dementia, and but he could still remember all the lyrics to the songs they were singing together, and the, like the light bulb came on. So, yes, I mean, that that's great that you tell other families that. I do the same. Um, you know, especially since we don't have such a much as much of an emphasis on music in schools, Yes, and with athletics, which is great. But just as you would, you know, get in the backyard and throw a football or shoot the hoop with your kids, and we know that's good to build teamwork and and athletics and being physical, um, music should be a part of that as well. And um, and I don't know if it is as much for many people. So I always encourage. Uh, and it's not like you have to be on American Idol. It's like you, you don't play basketball thinking that they're going to get a scholarship. You just do it because it's it's a bonding thing and it's fun and music is fun and it's fun when you can share it with others. It's a beautiful yeah, thing. You know, I think, you know, there were there were these tiny blessings that came about because of the pandemic. And I think one of the blessings that came out of the pandemic was before all the lockdowns, the music, not the music, the musical instrument industry they were suffering because yeah. they were they were fighting against all of these kids playing video games and right. you know of course that doesn't expand your mind but then when the pandemic happened then there was this little slow upswing of people going in like you know I'm stuck at home I can't go anywhere you know they go buy a guitar even if it's a yeah. cheap guitar it doesn't matter you can still learn on it a keyboard, you know, drums, whatever. And then all of a sudden you're seeing more people, you know, you and I, we can go on Instagram and see 11 year olds just freaking shredding. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. with the kids, they have such a huge advantage uh, that hey, I want to learn to play ukulele. I'll just go on YouTube and there's someone showing you how to play this song, how to play that song. You know, where do you start? And so that's a huge, I mean, yes, it's, it's with technology now it's, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot more distractions in the video games, but there's a lot of advantages as well. It's just where, you know, you can't force, I don't, I don't think a parent should force a child to learn something, but you can provide it for them and inspire them to do it. And if you're doing it as a parent, just as with Kim's music class, they see the parents singing, you know, maybe when they get a little older, they realize, oh, dad doesn't really sing in tune. But at that age, it doesn't matter. It's just the fact that you're singing and keeping time and, um, you know, beating the pots and pans in the kitchen, you know, playing little games that, you know, these music, these little songs that they learn, there's, um, there's a reason to the rhyme. Sorry for the pun, but it's it's true, though. They, they don't realize what they're learning. And there's a beauty in that, that, uh, you know, when they put their instruments away, they have to go boom, boom. That's one, five, five, one, excuse me. And um, 
you know, it's the rudiment of the chord structure and music. So um, it just gets, once it gets in your ear and you develop it, um, it can be a lifelong thing. And, and again, you know, my family, they, when we get together, like around Christmas time, we're pulling out the guitars and everyone's singing. And, uh, and I'm, that's a special group of family that I have that uh, we do that, but um, they never lost the love. And sometimes when you do it for a career, you know, many folks can lose that desire. You know, the music, it takes the fun out of it because it is a business. And, um, and that's the tough part about it sometimes. Yeah, it's like you need to spend a lot of time in the, in the woodshed, you know, focusing on the craft because yeah. there, that's what got you in the business in the first place. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we all know that business, the business side of things can definitely get in the way and sometimes kind of ruin the, ruin the passion a bit. And so you just have to pull yourself, go off somewhere by yourself and kind of renew all of that. But, uh, you know, it's music that makes the world go around, Buck. And uh, what, what, have you ever thought about the fact that the songs that you sing uh, have blessed millions of people around the world and created memories? I haven't thought about it per se. I mean, I, I, I think about the fact that um, whether, like I said before, whether I'm in a small club, like I'm playing the Bluebird Cafe, and it's, it's a crowded room of maybe of 100 people or so. And that's intimidating because they're right there in front of you and it's just you and acoustic guitar or piano and they're really listening, hanging on to every word. Uh, that's pretty special. And you know that when you see people, like if you're doing a sad song and you see them tearing up or they come to you afterwards and say how much that song meant to them because what have happened to them, man, that is the greatest feeling in the world, not for them, but the fact that, you know, we communicated together. I shared something that, you know, that maybe I didn't go through, but I communicated it. And it's something that, you know, was, um, you know, meant something to them. And I guess, you know, in my own little world, when I'm putting music out that how many people it can reach, you know, again, I think it's a privilege that I get to do this. I'm fortunate. I, I hate to keep saying that, but it is, you know, I don't recommend this, this uh, career to anybody because you either, you kind of have to be a lifer. You have to um, have been, you know, blessed with the talent, but also more than that, um, the encouragement and uh, the support from your loved ones and, um, and, and some lucky breaks, you know, along the way. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's mind blowing when I think about it, that I, you know, Hey, you play an arena, you know, there's people out there. They're not there to see me necessarily. They're there to see Steven and Joe or, or Johnny and Alice, but, um, you know, uh, I, I forget that sometimes after a show and I'm seeing fans, they're telling me, oh, man, we loved it when you did this or that. I'm like, wow, you were actually listening and watching. That's pretty amazing, you know. So when is, <laughs> when is your brand new album coming out later this year? Is there a release date on it? Yes, um, September 13th, um, so in the fall. We're going to do a few more singles leading up to it. You know, um, you know. nowadays we are doing singles like every six weeks or two months. You know, when I first started in this business, you know, you'd work a single for half a year almost, you know, uh, many weeks. Um, so, and, you know, again, it's um, it's an album that I pulled together. Some songs, I've, they're older songs like Just Feel Better, but um, 
you know, I wanted to do my own version or a song that never was released. Um, and some of them were written recently or during the pandemic. Uh, the name of the album will be called Tongue and Groove. And uh, the song Tongue and Groove was uh, after my dad had passed. Um, um, I thought I was obviously he was on my heart and mind. And, um, you know, I, I was writing with my good friend, um, um, Peter Stroud, who plays lead guitar for Sheryl Crow. And he, he was just playing, again, it's one of those things. He's playing these this riff, these chords, and then out of nowhere, I think of Tongue and Groove, and the song became. And, and it's about what my dad would say to me when I was a little kid growing up in Shady Grove, Alabama, which is outside of Birmingham, in the sticks on the other side of the tracks. And he would, uh, tornado warnings would be, you know, alerts or whatever. And he was a son, you need, no need to worry. This house, house is built tongue and groove. It will stand any storm. And that always stood with me. I didn't, I didn't know at the, at that age of seven, that what tongue and groove meant. It just sounded weird. Right. Um, but as we're going through this pandemic, this storm and that we can make it through this, you know, losing my father, you know, relationships, my wife, and I know many people, it, it was a tough time, you know, just getting through relationships. But I knew we had a solid foundation and we'd make it through it. So I wanted that to be the benchmark of the album and start from there. And um, so every song kind of is built around that song. Well, I can't wait for the album to come out. And when it does, you need to come back here and we can break the songs down. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me. This has Man. been awesome. You bet, but hey, ladies and gentlemen, Bug Johnson's Just Feel Better challenges conventional thinking. It's urging listeners to redirect their focus inward for true emotional restoration, encouraging a transformative shift. The song advocates confronting inner pain, discovering one's unique key to healing, and unlocking the potential for personal growth and resilience. The song highlights the necessity of going beyond surface-level connections and truly reaching out to those in our midst, understanding that even those closest to us may be contending with internal challenges. And for those of us who may not need help at the moment, let's be more aware of those around us, well, who, well, just need to feel better. So head over to buckjohnson.com, keep up with one of the busiest musicians on the planet, and Buck, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Again, thanks for having me, Ward. This has been amazing. Um, and yeah, this Friday, Just Feel Better is out on all social platforms and uh, DSP. So check and it that, out. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to fall in love with Buck Johnson's version of Just Feel Better. And I'm going to tell you this. Once you hear it, you're going to go, Stephen who? Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> you never that's know. Great. You never know. <laughs> the song is that good. <clears throat> that good, ladies and gentlemen. And you have to realize... Just feel better. It's 19 years old, and uh, but it still as it still sounds as new today as it did back in 2005. But Buck, you're the man. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you, you. Bet. ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you for watching and for listening. You can catch us on not only the Doctor Ward Bond Show. Check out my new program, Bond on Cinema. So if you're a film lover, check that out. We have YouTube channels on both. Of course, my Monday through Friday uh, television program, The Dr. Ward Bond Show, and we're on a dozen digital audio platforms as well. So again, thank you for watching and thank you for listening. And as for me, hey, 
I'll see you next time. Anything to just feel better.